from the entertainment capital of the world, Las Vegas. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway, for Creator Talks, the interview show for comic book aficionados. My guest on this show is Greg Schiegel. He began his professional career in 1997 working as an assistant editor for Marvel Comics, was a character artist for Nickelodeon in 2000, and from 2010 to 2018 was a regular contributor to SpongeBob Comics. One would think, with such an impressive resume and experience, people would know how to pronounce his name, but no. We begin our discussion with an easy way to remember the correct pronunciation of Schiegel. And with the formalities out of the way, things get personal. I recall with Greg the circumstances under which we first met and the impact his work had on my two boys. Why are kids and adults attracted to Greg's comics and how does he do it? In part, it's because Greg never forgot what it was like to be a kid. But there are things we do forget and we recount some of those memories that come flooding back when we rediscover books that we read many, many years ago as kids. Turning our attention to Greg's books, we talk about his coloring books, Superhero Universe and Unique Corns. Why does Greg make coloring books now? We also discuss his latest graphic novels, Picks, One Weird Weekend, and Picks, Too Super for School. In addition to comic shops and bookstores, Greg explains why libraries are such an important brick-and-mortar location to reach and teach kids about making art and sharing his work. And I close our interview asking Greg the nine questions I ask all my guests, including the toughest for Greg of them all. What would be his one island book? Only one book, and Tom Hanks is not on the island as a source of entertainment. Well said! Why Tom Hanks, you ask? We will learn about Greg's wearable tribute to this legendary actor. So please join me in welcoming Greg Schiegel. Here now, on Creator Talks. Greg, welcome to Creator Talks. Thank you for having me, Christopher. I am uh, I'm very pleased to be here. Glad to have you here. People ask me, how do you say his name? I say, it's simple. It's Greg like egg. What's the problem? I don't understand. You nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> On my website and my social media, I try and put it everywhere. It's a Sheagle rhymes with eagle, beagle, legal, or regal. I was doing a talk at a school, and the teacher asked me how to pronounce the last name. I said exactly what I just said to you. They said, oh, I don't need that many examples, and then proceeded to pronounce it wrong. <laughs> oh, dear. Arguably, based on how it is pronounced, it is arguably spelled wrong. I blame that on immigration processes uh, in the 60s. At least say it right. That's the important thing. Right. And it is Schiegel. So, Mr. Schiegel. Yes. Oh, formal. Okay. Hold on. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> I had to sit up for that. We first met way back in those heady days of 2017. This was back at the comic book shop, a lovely place. I used to buy books at all the time before I moved out to Las Vegas. It's a great shop. It's a great shop, yeah. It is. Yeah, I'm a fan of the shop. I'm a fan of Saren Titus, the whole operation. Thumbs up to the comic book shop in Wilmington, Delaware. I still stay in touch with them. Every once in a while, when the timing is just right, they'll do a live Facebook post and they'll be showing new books, or maybe they're having a sale, and they ask a question, like, I wonder when this first appeared, and I'll put my two cents in. I really hope to see them in the past year, but right. the way things are now, and they may be different by the time this goes out, but right now... We're all seeing each other on screens. That's right. So yeah, tell me a bit, because I remember the event. Uh, I was promoting uh, the Pix books. Mm-hmm. I believe it was the second book had come out, right? Yes. Yeah, it was 2017. There was a bunch of us there. I met you, and my son Nolan was with me at the time, and uh, he's still with me now. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> and he wanted to get a sketch from you, and you said, sure, anything you want, just not SpongeBob. And my son, not quite understanding politeness, he says, I want SpongeBob. <laughs> Did I really say anything but not SpongeBob? I think so. I don't know what it was. Maybe you're just being just kidding or something, but my son, of course, he just says, SpongeBob. And you being the nice guy is like, okay, sure. I'm thinking, geez, Nolan, don't do that. Don't don't put the guy on the spot like that. But you did a lovely job and accommodated. You couldn't have been nicer. And he was thrilled because he loves SpongeBob. So thank you so much. I'm glad that it went that way. I'm going to assume that I was joking. How old was your son then? Uh, he was like five. There's no way I would have said that seriously. You didn't seem serious. You weren't like, no, I won't do this. It was just like, anything but that. And he was like, I want that. You know, because you tell, like, don't touch that. The first thing a kid does is touches it, right? I can only hope I uh, I could tell he likes SpongeBob and wanted to <laughs> mess with a little kid. He was perfectly fine with it or oblivious, but either way, he was perfectly fine with it. For a kid, I will draw a SpongeBob or any SpongeBob character without much hesitation. I might ask, like, 
what do you want SpongeBob doing? Jellyfishing or making a Krabby Patty or blah, blah, blah. And then if they're indecisive, I could then also throw in, I could also make SpongeBob look like any superhero you like. Hmm. You sometimes get like, can you make it look like Captain America? And I do. And then that's very fun. No kidding. Wow. Yeah. Well, that was my encounter with you, with my son, Nolan. Now, my youngest son, Declan, I didn't realize this at the time, but I was reading to him a book every night that he really enjoyed. And as a good parent, as my mom did for me, I would read the credits. And eventually a light bulb went off in my head when I was reading to him Catwoman Counting. Oh, yes. That you did with Benjamin Burt. <laughs> I did, yeah. He loved the book. I loved it because I wanted to know what happened next. What comes after four? What comes after five? You know. Sure. <laughs> but he really got into that book. Uh, he's getting just a little too old for it now. He's really picking up. But just a year ago, he was really into that. It's a great book. That was one that you illustrated as well. I've made a good part of my career in doing licensed publishing stuff. So mm-hmm. a lot of it is SpongeBob related. And then I was able to get my foot in the door doing uh, DC animated style stuff. There's a good handful of, whether it's coloring books or chapter books with illustrations or things of that nature where my name is in there. And yeah, it's it's a fun way to get to draw the DC superheroes without having to go through the front door. It's a side door. And that Catwoman book, for instance, it's nice, colorful illustrations. And, and then I get feedback from people whose kids really take to it. It's very gratifying. Reading the book to him, I can see why... He would just fall in love with a book like that because, like you said, the simple backgrounds, the bright colors, that's the kind of thing, as a kid, I love to read. It just really jumped out at you. It was just so stark and bright and fun. That's the kind of thing I remember. That one lent to some really nice layouts. Like there's that one double-page spread where they're leaping across the rooftops. Mm -hmm. And then I think it's number 10 with the jewels on the floor, and I did a forced perspective on that one. So I like bringing the comics dynamic sensibility to the the younger kid stuff. And again, always happy when, when there's a positive response to it. So thank you. And thank Declan. You said Declan, right? It is Declan, yes. Okay. Or like his brother used to say, and the kids in school now still say Declan. They give him three syllables. Now that's the licensed stuff. Yeah. But you do your own stuff. The superhero coloring book. Now that is a reflection of your love of superheroes and cartoon animals growing up. And I thought that was interesting. You chose to do that rather than just a straight up superhero book. And these are your creations. Yes. So tell me about saying, look, I'm going to do a coloring book. Because of all things, you know, people like comic books. I'm going to do a Kickstarter. I'm going to do an Indiegogo. I'm going to do my own character and do a whole series. But you're doing a coloring book. Yeah. A coloring book. Good question. A bunch of reasons. So early in, now it's 2021, but in early 2020, I had this concept for a coloring book called Unique Corns, which was a series of drawings of non-horse unicorns. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to try something on the Amazon print-on-demand platform, and it felt like something worth giving a shot. The threshold for completion on a coloring book, it's a shorter production time. So it's a single illustration, and in my coloring books, I do a bit of text on each, so on the right page is the coloring page. On the left side is some text explaining what's on the right side page. I did it with the unicorns, and it was fun. It was fun to do the drawings. It's fun to invent how the horn is going to look on the thing and then put the book together, and I enjoyed the experience of doing that. The superheroes, these characters that I had created, has been something in my head for a bunch of years. I had a sketchbook, and I'd think of an animal, or I'd think of a superhero name or a superhero pun, and I'd start doodling and putting the thing together. Some came together very quickly. Watermain, the aquatic lion, that was fast. Uh, Warhorse, the super soldier horse, took a while. That one, that costume was dogging me for a long time. And the original concept was this would be awesome to do as comics for kids, which is generally where my output goes anyway. I have a very specific idea in my head. Like I can picture the books and I know what they look like and their physical dimensions and the whole thing. But the process of getting that done is a longer process. And if I wanted to get it done with a publisher instead of publishing it myself, that's an even longer process still. There are complications to the marketplace and what publishers are looking for and what sells and what doesn't sell and how superheroes fare in the book market versus how kids superheroes fare in the comic market. And it's just, it's a lot. But what isn't a lot for me as a creative person is I have 40 of these animal characters. I want to put them into the world. 
I will draw them. I will describe them. It will be a coloring book. And it was an efficient way to do it. And as a kid, I had coloring books that I liked quite a bit that sort of sparked the imagination. There was a company called Dover that put coloring books together. And I had this mythology one, Mythical Creatures. And it would be a drawing of a mythical creature and the bottom would be text about the manticore or whatever. And I love that stuff. And another book I had as a kid was this oversized Mighty Marvel pinup book. And people of a certain age might remember this book, but it was this huge, not quite 11 by 17, but it was this very large book. And every page had a massive pinup of a Marvel character or a team. And on the left would be the logo and then a description of the character. Something more than like the little text that would go in Marvel Comics, you know, on a day unlike any other, the heroes form the event, something like that, but a little more involved. So I took all these things that I remember loving as a kid, and I took these characters that to me have a lot of kid appeal in them, or at least for me, if this stuff happened when I was a kid, I would have lost my mind. Animal superheroes, I love it. I mean, I loved it when I was a kid. Things like, you know, Spider-Ham or Captain Carrot and the Zoo Crew. One of the earliest comics I ever bought was an issue of Captain Carrot where they, it was a play on Crisis, which I didn't know what that was. I wasn't paying enough attention, but they met a group called the Just a Lot of Animals, okay, which which were animal versions of the Justice League. So it was uh, Wonder Wabbit and Bat Mouse and Super Squirrel and Aqua Duck. And I was just like, I loved it. Now, in hindsight, the comics are just so sort of goofy, cheesy pun fests. But the idea of the animal superheroes has never left my brain to the point where I want to say it was like maybe 2007 or 2008. I tried to pitch it in like 2004. I tried to pitch something with Spider-Ham at Marvel. Then I tried again in 2008, collaborating with my friend Jacob Shabbat. And none of those sold. But it was always a thing I was trying to do. And it was a a, a slightly different take on them, something a little more adventurous and less jokey-jokey. Not that I mind the jokey-jokey, but anyway, I'm going off on ramblies. But it was this thing of, I like these characters. I like designing characters. I like coming up with concepts for characters. And this was a way for me to do that and create something a little interactive, something that kids can get into and sort of make their own stories start to creep up. At the back of the book, I have several pages of just six panel grids. And it's sort of now that you've met all these characters, heroes and villains, make your own stories. There's a bit of interactivity, a bit of let's make comics. And it's also very interesting. I sent some copies to some friends in advance. And I was just like, if your kids want to color these, I'll put them up on the website. And I've started getting those. And the color choices are fascinating because in some cases, I did not think about the colors. I was just like, what is a cool design for a costume? And only now I'm just like, oh, I didn't even think of like what color this should be. So that's been fun to see how the colors come to life. Kids are that way. I watch my son Declan coloring and he comes up with color combinations. I'm like, I would have never colored Santa Claus's outfit that color, but okay. (laughs) Not in a million years. It's incredible. There's no boundaries. They don't have those limits. Not at all. Anything goes. What's in the box? I'll use that. That's fine with them. One kid colored in a character called Flamingost, Mm -hmm. which is a ghostly flamingo, a spirit of justice kind of a thing. And it's like a sort of a ghostly flaming flamingo. I don't know how else to describe it, but the colors... The kid had created lines of separation that are not in the drawing, but like a line at the hip and a line at the arm, at the shoulders. And I'm like, this is wild. Like, not that they're coloring outside of lines, they're creating lines. It was really interesting. You know, you have all these characters in the book. And like you said, you've actually filled out their origin. So that's part of the explanation before you get to the actual drawing. Now that they're out in the world, would you ever spin those off into individual comic series? Individual comic series? I'll say this. If the opportunity arose, hey, Greg, we want you to tell stories with these characters, I would be a fool to just walk away from that. I would love to. It would be a blast. The original concept that I envisioned, okay, so something else when I was a kid, (laughs) everything tracks back to that. So when I was a kid, they used to be these subscription book series, the little hardcover books, and like Sesame Street put out a series of books, and each book was a different letter of the alphabet. They were like animal books. You know, National Geographic would put these things out. I don't know if you have any familiarity with this, but this was a thing. Okay. So I imagine for superhero comics, it would be called superhero comics or superhero universe comics. And I imagine magazine size, 8.5 by 11, about the same size as the coloring book, maybe a little taller. So like European album style where each book would have two stories in it. It would be a flip book. So each book would have like two 22 page stories and you just do a series of these books and each book would focus on a different character or two different characters over the course of 
if we're being ambitious, 10 books, you'd get 20 different stories featuring different characters, different combinations of characters. Again, this is all very ambitious and hard to do in the market the way it exists without support or something of that nature. So for the time being, being maybe overly cautious or realistic or whatever word you want to use, I'm keeping the bar fairly low, sticking to coloring books for now. As stories come to me, and sometimes they do, you know, I jot them off to the side. But as yet, I want to see how it lands as just conceptual stuff and see where it takes me, if it takes me anywhere. Who knows? It's why I'm doing shows like this, to let people know this exists and then see what happens. Fair enough, sir. Fair enough. Is that too serious an answer? Not at all. One of the things I really like about that coloring book is you have in there, and this means a lot to a kid, this book belongs to. Because when I was a kid, they all had that this belongs to. And I had a lot of books that my parents would sign over to me. Do you still have any of your old books when you were growing up? I have books from when I was growing up. They don't have my name in them, but they're definitely like my original copies of. So I have a copy of Danny and the Dinosaur, like an early, super early chapter book, one of those I can read kind of a things. Yeah, I have a ton of old books. It's the sort of thing where it's like, why do I still have all of these old books? But I, (laughs) I do have them. I have copies of the Ramona and Beezus books. I've never read them. We just had them in the house. And I have them with me it's with the idea of like, at some point, I'm going to read Ramona Quimby, age eight. It's a classic for a reason. I'm going to read it. But I still haven't read it. I do have my old beat up copy of Fantastic Mr. Fox. And then I have obviously old comics, although I don't have a lot of those anymore. There was a period when I was in junior high school, what people call middle school now. They were putting out these very small pocket sized comic book adaptations of classics. And they were basically reprinting Classics Illustrated, but they were black and white, three inches by five inches. Little tiny like paperbacks. And I still have a stack of those. I have some little golden books from when I was a kid, mostly Sesame Street related. A very long answer to the question. Yes, I do have uh, books from when I was a kid. As we cleaned out my parents' house, I have some and I gave them to my kids. One I remember that I had was The Runaway Pancake. And I think that was a golden book. And then recently, my sister shipped to me books that were assigned to me that I had okay. not laid eyes on in decades. You've probably been through this. Most people have. You forgot you even had something. Then you see it and you go, oh, yes, I remember this. And then all the memories come flooding back. Yeah. And when I was growing up, the space age was the big thing. Men landing on the moon, all this other stuff. So I have a lot of books like A Trip in Space by Rand sure. McNally and A Rocket Trip to the Moon with these like 3D action figures, really, like small kid action figures. So it's not a 2D book. It's all space stuff and these crazy how-to books. I had a space one. It's probably around here somewhere. I wouldn't be able to find it. But it had I, – I remember specifically like there was a spread showing the rocket – and then how it comes apart. So you get to like the Lunar Lander. I think they were called like how-to books. There was like a theme to them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a few different ones. And one I didn't read a whole lot of, just looking at the condition of it, it was one about nature. Sure. Uh, no, ecology. It's called ecology. Then there was one about the Civil War. And then there was one that was called Rockets and Missiles. And I'll have to post just some of the illustrations because a lot of stuff was just illustrated. Yeah. It's really cool because a lot of it's that 50s, 60s kind of concept of space travel. So it's uh, kind of cool to look at. But those are things that I completely forgot about. You're making me remember stuff just by mentioning it because like I'm remembering that there's a bunch of those books. Like in the top left, there'd be like a logo for whatever the series was. How and why. And there yes. were like three colored yeah, like stripes. Red, yep. Red, mm-hmm. white, and blue stripes, right? Pink, blue, and yellow or something. Yep. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So we had some of those. And then I'm remembering we'd go to a friend's house and they had a kid's encyclopedia. And I would always pull the volume that was um, myths and fables or whatever. Obviously, fiction is where I I like to hang my hat. And I just would like pour through this thing and read these stories from, you know, the five Chinese brothers. Yeah, it's five. Or is it seven? I think it's five. It's been a long time. But like I'd read these stories and I love I love all that stuff. So, yeah, I do know those how and why books. I probably have some somewhere around here on a shelf or in a box. Yeah. Have you done this? Because I did this recently. You remember something you had and then you go looking for it on the online and you find some of the interior pages. There was a book I used to have. It was a Disney book. It was a scratch and sniff Disney book. And it was Mickey Mouse. He gets some device from Gyro Gear Loose and it's a series of smells. It's a smell machine or whatever. I could barely remember it, but I was able to do a search online for like Mickey Mouse book, scratch and sniff, And I found it like I found somebody had posted interior pages from it and it was wild. 
a wild ride of just like, oh yeah, and that smelled like this, and I remember, and the smells were coming to me. Oh wow. Yeah, it's cool. I think it's like Mickey Mouse and the Wonderful Smell Machine or something like that. That's wild. Yeah, it was fun to just, and then I was like, should I buy this? Should I find it on eBay? I, I don't need it. I did what I needed. Like I got the rush from looking at the pictures. I've said this to people where, you know, I'll get a book as a kid. And then when I pull that book out of the box, I'm like, I remember where I was when I read this, what the circumstance was. I was sitting in a park. I was in a treehouse, whatever. All the memories come flooding back. It's incredible. Yeah. It must be hard to sell comics geared towards kids targeting a certain age group, like say teenager or younger in a comic shop because the predominance is the superhero books and everything. And that's why most people go in to buy the latest issue. So it's got to be harder to move those books. But one thing that you do is that you do go to libraries and do school readings to bring this medium to kids about comics and creating comics. So you're actually out there letting people know, letting young readers know about these books. Yes. I mean, you know, some stores like the aforementioned comic book shop in Wilmington, Delaware, are great about books for kids. They have mm -hmm. a really well curated section of it. They have creators like me and the other folks that were there that mm -hmm. day. Yep. We did little um, activities with kids and stuff like that. They have that danger room, which is just a cool space in their store. But yes, I do wish we could do more of it in these times. Uh, I know people do them digitally. I haven't done a whole bunch of that as yet. But yes, there's a twofold or maybe threefold thing with doing the school visits, which is outside of the direct market. So at this point, maybe people know this, maybe people don't, but comics are sold in two different ways. They're sold in the direct market, which is comic book shops, and then they're sold in what's called the book market, which is bookstores and libraries and schools, school libraries, things like that. And that's where kids' comics thrive more than in the direct market. Direct market, certain stores are very open to it and very friendly to it, but other stores just are... Marvel DC stores or graphic novel stores, that sort of thing. There are some tremendous stores that really do keep a great comics for kids presence in their stores. Challengers Comics and Conversation in Chicago has an entire side section called Sidekicks. That's all kids stuff. You know, they really care about fostering comics reading in young people, just to name one. There are more. I apologize for not naming all of you. So the school market and going directly to kids is A, it's great to proselytize comics to kids. And at this point, teachers are on board and they get it and it's a really welcoming space. And then B, it's a really terrific way to sell books. You go, you talk to these kids, you tell them what your book is about, you do a talk about something having to do with making comics or where ideas come from or whatever. On the one hand, it could be slow going because if you're doing one school at a time, you're reaching those many people at a time. But if you get ahead of steam going, there are people that do talks around the country, publisher help set things up. You can really make a go of it. And then on occasion, you get paid for the talk itself. So there's a financial benefit to doing it as well, just as like a speaker. It's just a nice way to, to sort of help be a professional uh, comic maker. It's not what any of us necessarily signed up for when we said, I want to make comics. Oh, you have to talk in front of large groups of children now. But if you enjoy doing that, and I find it pretty entertaining unless it's a really bum group of kids, but that doesn't happen too often. I enjoy the engagement. I have these little activities I do. When I was going around promoting picks, it would be a let's make up a fairy tale concept together, and you sort of engage with the kids, and the suggestions are always incredible. I think I have a video on YouTube of one of these sessions I did with a, a fourth-grade class where what I would do is I'd present the concept of what-ifing to make up stories, so asking questions to conceive of stories. So then I would ask the group for a random suggestion of any fairy tale, which I would then, you know, they'd yell out whatever they were yelling out. And then I'd say, what if that fairy tale was a superhero story? And we start exploring those concepts because my picks books are a superhero fairy tale mash thing. So keeping thematically and then it's like, OK, what powers would Red Riding Hood have? And the kids start yelling stuff out and like, who's the bad guy? And like the big bad, what powers does the big bad wolf have? It becomes very fun. And then I do a drawing and it's it's all very satisfying but the fun for it for me is just, again, what we were talking about before, that kid logic and the way the things they come up with. And sometimes they hit on things that are so smart, like so keyed into the fairy tale. And you're just like, that's incredible. You know, it's like, what are Red Riding Hood's powers? Well, she has the baked goods or bombs. It's like, okay, that's amazing. <laughs> like, I would have never, 
I didn't think of that, but they did. It's like, oh, she's got the basket of goodies for the grandma, and they she can throw them, and they explode. Like, that's awesome. I love it. So, yeah, the school visits is fun. I, I look forward to a time where we can do more of that, where I have more things to take to schools and promote and talk about and, and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I look forward to the day when we can get back face-to-face with people and – I can go back and visit schools because at work, occasionally they have this, I think it's like once a year, you can go and sign up and redo a class during story time. Oh, nice. I always like doing that because I'll pick out a kid's book. Next time it could be one of yours. Ooh. And the kids just love it. I mean, there's, there's you know, one or two that don't pay attention. You know, you know, it's tough, tough crowd, tough crowd. Sure. But most of them, they love having somebody come in. I got all these like little thank you notes and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to start crying. You know, it's like... <laughs> I just enjoy it because they enjoy it, and it's, it's a lot of fun. So it's great that you're doing what you're doing, though, because that's how they're going to find out about these things. And libraries are still a great way to reach people and learn new things without spending a ton of money. And then if they find something that you like and you want to have it, you go out and get it. I rely on the library quite a bit. I mean, there are so many comics that come out, and there's so much stuff to read, and I just don't have the space for it. So the library mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. outstanding. And the library wants you to use the library. The more people that use the library, the more the library can say, hey, look, state and local government, we're being used. So give us the money so we can do what we're doing. I'm a big proponent of the library. When there were conventions, I would go to the American Library Association events when I could. And that's where all the librarians sort of gather. And they've become much more receptive and open to comics where they're this kind of a small artist alley that they set up for cartoonists to be there. And it's a really tremendous experience because the way librarians talk about books is different than the way Comic-Con goers do, especially, again, for kids stuff. There's a, a receptiveness and an openness to like, what is this book? Who's it for? What's it about? And they are genuinely looking for things. And they have kids in mind as they're talking to you that they're like, I know a kid that would love this book. And that kind of attention and I don't want to say curation again, but it really is like it's that idea that people talk about with the comic store where if you get a relationship with your comic shop owner, they will know what you might like to read. The same thing is happening at the library. These librarians are on point. You know, the good ones are paying attention to these kids and the things they're reading and what's being checked out. You know, I regularly will ask, like, what are the big checkouts? And they know these are like the top five. They're never on the shelves because as soon as it comes back, it's checked out again. They are on the front lines like they're they're the boots on the ground that are seeing what kids are reading and what they're taking in and they have influence to say if you like this i think you'll like this thing and that's tremendous that's power right there and the fact that they are pro comics or many of them are only benefits those of us that make comics for kids and some people you know now it's much more well known in the past 10 years or so as you know reina's books and the dogman books and amulet nathan hale's books Baby Mouse, I can keep naming books. This could never end. It's all very encouraging in that regard. It's still hard. It's as hard to get your foot in the door there as it is in the direct market. Trust me, I keep trying. But it's still very encouraging that it's an expansion of the market, especially for kids' comics, that is good because the kids' comics world was shrinking in comic shops for far too long. Now I want to come back to Pix, the comic that you mentioned. And you had kindly sent me one Weirdest Weekend and two Super for School. Yes. I've been super busy, so I didn't get a chance to read both. Wait, you're telling me that you are father of two. As far as I know, it's two. (laughs) You are employed. It's a pandemic. It's also been the holidays, and you have not read almost 400 pages of comics? I know. I failed you. I failed you. However, however, I do want to share this with you, and I'm being completely honest. Hold on. For people listening... Don't know me. I was joking. <laughs> Everything's cool. It's, it's all good. It's cool. All right. I did start to read one weirdest weekend, and my thought was, well, I'm not really into fantasy, so you know, I'll read a little bit of it, and then you know, I'll pretty much talk about it. This is a little behind the scenes, folks. Sure. Inside baseball. It's a responsible interviewer. I started reading it, and I didn't put it down until I finished the whole thing. Yeah. I just kept reading and said, "This is pretty cool." I want to. I don't want to say what happens because, like, there's stories. That continue. There's different stories within this graphic novel. So it's continuous. Here's one adventure, and this leads into this adventure, and this leads to this. I just kept reading it. I just kept going. I'm like, well, I'm just going to go ahead and read this whole thing. You fell for my tricks. You sucked me in. It was really good. It was really good. And I can see why a kid would really be into this because it deals with feelings that teens and young kids have. Like, does she like me? Should I tell her? 
all these things being a superhero and the fun and the adoration and responsibility and some of the difficulties. So it, it had all of that. It spoke to that kid in me. I liked it so much. It just kept going. Thank you. So I originally self-published it in 2015. The solicit that I put in the Diamond catalog described it as if Spider-Man were a Disney princess. Mm, okay. <laughs> yeah. Because it, it has, without, again, giving too much away, but this is funny. Okay. Listen to this, Christopher. So I feel like you and I might be on the same page in that you never want to spoil anything, mm-hmm. right? You never want to tell anybody what the thing is because you want them to experience it for themselves. It's the best part. So I, at conventions, would describe the book as if Spider-Man was a fairy princess or a Disney princess. Or I would say things like, it's like Monster of the Week adventures, but it all sort of ties together into one big story. And I would like pinpoint one or two things that happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She gets shrunken down at one point and there's some talking animals. Like I'll do that. But I've come to realize more people are unlike us and they love to have things spoiled for them. <laughs> like if you think about people that love movie trailers and don't mind that the movie trailer gives everything away or will read articles and interviews, like if it's something I want to see, I will avoid everything about it until I've seen it. Right. But I think we're the rare birds. I think so. So I am willing to spoil things. If you want to go there, if there's a specific question that you worry will spoil it. I will answer that question <laughs> is what I'm saying. No, no, no. I've read it. I'm satisfied. Uh, okay. Well, the thing is, though, like you said, without Peter Parker, there's no Spider-Man. You have to involve Peter Parker, his relationships, his Aunt May, his friends at high school or college, whatever era it is in Peter Parker's life. It's the same thing here. Yes, but I'm going to push back a little bit. Okay. Because I think that kind of story is appealing when you're a kid. And when I say kid, I mean like 10 and under. You're responding to the Spider-Man stuff. Yeah, true. I don't remember anything about secret identities outside of Bruce Wayne from the Batman TV show. Secret identities did not interest me when I was 7, 8, 9, 10. Around about 9 or 10, you start to figure it out. But even then, depending on who the character is, I'd look at the Spider-Man comic strip, and I'm like, this is boring. It's just three panels of Peter Parker. Yeah, okay. I gotcha. Now, that said, the secret identity makes the character a person. Mm -hmm. So in the case of Pix, Pix doesn't have a secret identity. She's so uh, self-assured that she shows up to school wearing her costume. In the first book, she's not in school, but in the second book, she goes to school, and she wears the costume to school. She has no uh, fear or shame in being openly a superhero. But she is still dealing with the things that human people have to deal with. She worries about her friends. She's worrying about this, that, and the other. She's like, oh, no, I've been turned into a bunny rabbit. How do I become a human again? The things everybody worries about. (laughs) Yeah, I like to have the balance in there because, again, to me, that's what makes, in as much as when I was a kid, I didn't pay attention to identity stuff, I knew that at a certain point, Superman wasn't going to be Superman. Or if Aquaman was outside of the water for an hour, he'd lose his powers. These weaknesses, all that stuff, I think, makes superheroes compelling and exciting, whether it's a secret identity or a a dramatic weakness or whatever the case may be. In the case of Pix, I wanted her to have a humanity to her. She's a kid who believes that she's a fairy princess. She believes her father, who's not seen, was the king of the fairies. That's why she has superpowers, and she thinks it's her responsibility as a fairy princess to help people. That on its own is maybe a little far gone, but then you start giving her real stuff to think about and it grounds things a little bit. You get, you know, people don't believe her and it creates some tension, even in a small way. There's a bit of tension there where people aren't buying her story and she's convinced that she's right. And that's sort of a through line in the the series. Is she what she claims to be? I feel like I've spun off in such a stratosphere that I've lost the original thread. It's grounded. And I think that's why I stuck with it. Being fantasy-based in some way, it wasn't based in a fantasy land. It was based here on Earth, and she didn't have a secret identity, which was different from Spider-Man. But she was still dealing with friends and family and concerns. It was here on Earth, so I could identify with it more. I could kind of get into it more. I think that's what helped me was that it wasn't removed from our plane of existence here on Earth. At the risk of patting myself on the back, I don't love, what's the word, hard fantasy. I Mm -hmm. think that's the description of it. Like the Lord of the Rings stuff leaves me cold. Like it doesn't do anything for me. But again, I love mythology. I love fairy tales. I love the sort of um, cleaner, simpler make-believe, if that tracks. I was always more Star Wars than Star Trek. Gotcha. Mm Mm-hmm. 
so for me, a fantasy story, you know, I'm thinking of things like Alice in Wonderland or Peter Pan, Disney feature type things where the fantasy is there. There's no map at the beginning of the book. I know people love a map at the beginning of the book. I don't love it. To me, it feels like you're making me do homework before I've even started reading. I don't want to get lost in the story. Like, who's this? Like, there are some shows I've watched with my wife that I got completely lost. Like, who was related to who? I forget what the show is called. Was it The Dark? People time traveling and they were meeting themselves in different periods. And I'm like, wait, I need like a family tree. You're losing me. It's too complicated. I mean, and that show is in German. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's right. I've only watched the first episode. I keep hearing it's incredible. I just haven't locked into it. It's good, but it's very complex. Very complex. <laughs> yeah. So when it gets too complicated, and again, I might love Dark. I haven't watched it, so I can't speak to it. But like I know with Game of Thrones, mm -hmm. I watched most of it. At a certain point, I checked out. But I still don't know most of their names. <laughs> <laughs> and I was watching this thing. It's harder to sort of grasp what you're attached to. Something I strive for in the comics I make, and sometimes I maybe overdo it and I have to scale back, is that clarity is very important to me. That you can follow what's happening, the plot is clear, the motivations are clear, you don't get lost in the story. So I do some what some people might consider old school things. I have locator captions that'll say, you know, later or at so-and-so's house. And again, some of it is I'm making this for a younger reader, but I want it all to be very clear page to page, panel to panel, what you're seeing. And again, sometimes I overwrite and I have to sort of scale it back in the editing process and take some words out because it's like people will figure it out. There's drawings for a reason. But clarity is, is uh, definitely important to me. So the fact that you didn't get lost, that you sort of got sucked into it is uh, thank you. I appreciate hearing that. That's nice to hear. Well, it's for younger readers. So if I got lost, <laughs> I got a problem. <laughs> I'll tell you, I've read some things, man, where the creator is making some big assumptions about mm -hmm. what we're supposed to interpret. You know, they'll draw a facial expression, but without a word balloon or a thought balloon, you're leaving a lot in the open for what that facial expression means. Mm -hmm. And without music, without a soundtrack, it's really trusting the reader, which is not a bad thing, but is that the story you want to tell? You're leaving a lot in their hands to interpret what a face looks like. I've had that problem reading comics where I'm reading it and I'm not sure what's happening from one panel to the next. There's something's missing. Maybe it's that locator. Like a lot of times it's a locator. Something happened in the past, but something wasn't done with the coloring of the panels or the framing of them to show you that this is actually occurring in the past. And I have to go back and look at it again and read it again and go, oh, okay, now I see what's happening. This already happened. This is a flashback, but I couldn't tell by the way it was presented. That yeah. slows me down. And they trusted the audience too much to say, oh, I, I get it. It's a flashback. But I don't know that story as intimately as the person who wrote it. So I missed that. And you made it easy to enter the story and be swept along with the flow. And that's a real skill. Thank you. I appreciate that. I have... Uh, no further questions, Your Honor. <laughs> uh, take the compliment and sit back quietly. Do you have further adventures for picks planned? Uh, I have written a draft for a book three. So that's the positive. I have some notes. I have some things I need to rewrite. That draft was written in 2018. The problem is, again, to inject the unfortunate reality of the world. So after I self-published it, it went over to Image. Image republished the first book and then published the second book. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, sales didn't uh, light up the streets. And the third book that I want to do is kind of in a limbo state. Mm -hmm. So I want to do it. I would like to do it. It is my intention to do it. Uh, I don't know how or when because the marketplace is the marketplace. And for me to do the third book would require, I want to say, 12 to 16 months. Because again, I do everything. I write it, mm -hmm. I draw it, I letter it, I color it. In this instance, I might publish it. You know, it's like there's a lot of aspects to putting one of these together. So right now, the first draft is written. I would want to do a second pass on it, tighten some screws, and then just the process of drawing 160-some pages takes time. So at some point, I'd like to see it happen. I think the third book is very cool. There's stuff that happens in it that I want people who've been following the story to see. And there's some ideas in there that I'm so jazzed about that when I think about them, I'm like, oh, I need people to see this. There's other parts that need to fall in, in line for it to make it more feasible and sensible to do it. 
which sucks because I know that there are kids who read these books and would love this third book and want the third book. I wish there were more of them. Where can people find those two books, the first two volumes of Pix Comics and the superhero coloring book? So if you go to gregshegel.com, G-R-E-G-G-S-C-H-I-G-I-E-L.com, that will take you everywhere. So that's where you can get the Pix books. You can order them directly there. I can sign them. I send them to you. It's a one-to-one operation. The superhero coloring book, as well as the unique corns, there are links on my website. Those take you to Amazon where you can get them there. But if you go to my website, that will point you in every direction. For fans of podcasts who like to listen to podcasts, I want to also bring up your podcast, Cruising Together. I listened to the latest that you just dropped in December. And by the time this comes out, there could be another one. It depends if Tom Cruise has a movie out, but probably not. It doesn't seem like, I mean, it looks like his next movie, if things work out, Top Gun Maverick is supposed to come out in July. Cruising Together is a show that I do with my friend and fellow cartoonist Chris Jeruso. We watched, in order, every movie Tom Cruise has ever acted in. And we quote-unquote discuss them, usually with a guest. And uh, yeah, we've done every one, and we're just waiting for Top Gun Maverick. So the episode you listened to was us waiting. Both of you gave your idea of what Top Gun Maverick will be like, based on all the previews. And first of all, the story that you told is probably more interesting than what I would see in the movie theater. Yeah, we did our we did what we call our precaps. Normally, we do a recap battle. Since uh, the movie hasn't come out yet and we haven't seen it, we did a precap battle uh, where we both presented our predictions of what the content of Top Gun Maverick would be, and we had uh, we had fun with it. You sure did. I know I had fun listening to it. Thank you. Yeah, spoilers abound, everybody. If you don't want Top Gun Maverick ruined uh, by people who have never seen it, <laughs> listen to a different episode. But yes, what do you want to know about cruising together? I have not seen a lot of Tom Cruise movies, believe it or not. I haven't even seen Top Gun. I know that's that's incredible. Believe me, you didn't spoil anything because I've heard what happened, so I'm, I'm all familiar with it. By the way, on the show, Chris and I basically claim to be experts on Tom Cruise. Uh, we're not. We're, we're, we're just two dopes. <laughs> but Top Gun is a pretty overrated movie, okay. i got to say. It's not in my top 10 Tom Cruise movies. I don't even know if it's in my top 20. I'd have to check my list again. Because, yes, I do have a list for the show. I've seen Mission Impossible 1 and 2. I remember seeing that in the theater. The first one I saw was The Color of Money that he was in. I did see that. Sure. The Last Samurai I really enjoyed. Last Samurai is good. Yeah. One that I loved and my wife loved. We rented it and we did not expect much. Hold on. I want to see if I can guess. I want to see if I can guess. Tom Cruise wasn't the central character, but played a part that was just hilarious. Take a guess. Tropic Thunder. Exactly. That is exactly the film. We love that. That was so good. Kind of gave it away. Yeah, I did. <laughs> we did our rankings. There's an episode where we ranked all the movies up until that point. I think Tropic Thunder is my number three or four. Oh, wow. It's up there. Yeah, it's a great movie. My number one is Magnolia. Okay. My number two is Rain Man. All right. Collateral is up there. Tropic Thunder is up there. And I think the first Mission Impossible might be number five. And then Jerry Maguire might be number six. I think those are the top six. And Mission Impossible 2 is the worst Mission Impossible. Okay. In my opinion. I haven't listened to this particular episode yet because I still want to see the movie and I don't want to spoil it. I must ask you, was The Mummy that bad? The Mummy's not good. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> okay. Um, it's got problems. It's a fun episode of Cruising Together. I remember the episode. We had a good time. The thing about the show is, so we talk about Tom Cruise movies. But we also talk about whatever else comes up. There's a fun bit of push and pull where I enjoy the digressions. I like going off and not talking about the movie. And Chris likes to pull us back to talk about the movie. So with The Mummy, there's definitely some digressions. I mean, there's some neat stuff in The Mummy, but it's flawed. It's not the worst Tom Cruise movie. There are much worse movies than that. I haven't seen enough Mummy movies to say it's a great or not a great Mummy movie. It's not as like rip-roar and fun as the Brendan Fraser ones. So it doesn't have that kind of like Indiana Jones feel. It's a goofy movie. Now I'm remembering certain things. Where it's like it has an element that's reminiscent of American Wolf in London. Mm-hmm. I did see that. It just doesn't feel like it fits with this movie. It's a weird little movie, The Mummy. It's got a junky ending. It sounds like a bottle of wine and watch the movie night. There's stuff in it where you're just like, this feels so lazy. If you said, like, I want to watch a Tom Cruise movie, that wouldn't be the one I'd tell you to watch. But 
if you say like, I want to watch a failed attempt at a shared universe, by all means, go for it. You set my expectations. Thank you, sir. Good. No problem. So you do these podcasts as a movie is coming up, Tom Cruise movie, and it's available on all the podcasting platforms. I hope it is. I know it's on Apple Podcasts. I think it's on Google Podcasts. I do the uh, the syndicating on my own. I use a plugin on my website. So I don't know if it's on Stitcher. I don't even know. I, it might be. I haven't checked. Podcasting, at the risk of sounding like a real Gen Xer, is uh, sort of like a side thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a fun thing I do, and I don't pay enough attention to it, and I probably should. But the people who like the show really like it. That's always uh, very gratifying. I mean, I would love to find out that, you know, somebody notable listens to it and tells other people to listen to it. But I don't know if that that's happening based on social media feedback. But that's fine. Oh, don't look Chris at and I enjoy media. it. It'll drive you crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Honestly. Chris and I have fun doing it. Every time we finish one, we're like, ah, that's fun. He should put out more movies. We should do more of this. Chris and I used to live in the same city, so it was easier to get together and do the shows. Now we're in separate cities, so it's a little trickier. You have to do things over, like we're doing right now on the internet. The rhythm is, yeah, it's a different kind of show. It's not like you and I talking in an interview format. It's riffing, and sometimes the timing can be hinky, but we're working it out. Hopefully, we'll have it all sorted by the time Top Gun Maverick blazes across our screens and we can all go out to a movie theater. <laughs> now, one other thing I want to mention is uh, an American treasure, Tom Hanks. And you yes. do Tom Hanks tease. Yes. Please tell everyone about this. This is just crazy off the wall stuff. All right. So this is actually connected to Cruising Together. So on Cruising Together, we do bits little games, things like that. And one of the bits is called Hanks a lot. And when we do Hanks a lot, it's we t- <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> we say, what part in the movie we just watched would you swap out the actor for Tom Hanks? It's not the dumbest bit we do, but it's a pretty silly one. <laughs> and we have a little jingle that goes with it. It's a song called Thanks a Lot, but the way it sounds, if you're hearing Hanks a lot, you hear Hanks a lot. You do. That's, you're absolutely right. I, I was, was going to say, where'd you get that from? Is that like a Hanks Williams song or something? Like, what is <laughs> It's a song called Thanks a Lot. Mm-hmm. I, I'd have to look and see who actually performed it, but we just play a little tiny clip of it a lot. It's a country song called Thanks a Lot. And if you notice, I call him Hanks William, not even Hank Williams. So you can see it already. It's infected my brain. It's in there. The earworm of some <laughs> it kind. Is. So the concept of Hanks a Lot is just there. And it's, you know, sounds like Thanks a Lot. Bing, bam, boom. And then I had this idea of a T-shirt that would have drawings of Tom Hanks in his various roles. So earlier in 2020, I did these 27 drawings of Tom Hanks. And I started rolling them out. I was really going to play this up as like, get ready, folks, for the Ides of Hanks. I was going to release this T-shirt that would have all 27 heads on it. And the T-shirt was going to come out on March 15th. The Ides of March, but also the Ides of Hanks. <laughs> so on, on social media, I was putting up a new drawing every day. And there's like, hashtag the Ides of Hanks. Hashtag 27 days of Hanks. Like, it was a whole thing. It's, again, absolutely silly and absurd. And it was all running up to March 15th. And then on March 11th, Tom Hanks announces that he's got COVID-19. And it just deflated. Ugh. I was just like, I feel like a ghoul. Like, what if something happened? Like, we, you know, at that point, right. we didn't know anything. So I still put the shirt out, but I felt like a creep promoting it. Felt like a creep tagging Tom Hanks. He was dealing with a potentially deadly disease. So the shirt is there. It's a shirt. It has 27 drawings of Tom Hanks starting from Bosom Buddies, going all the way through to the Walt Disney thing. And then David S. Pumpkins is there. I mean, I have one, and I love it. Although I just took them down. I put out a Christmas and a Hanukkah version. In the Christmas one, all the heads were in the shape of a Christmas tree. And in the Hanukkah one, they were the lights on top of a, or they were the candles of a menorah. Uh, And one said, Merry Hanksmas. And the other one said, Happy Hanksica. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) But the original... Hanks a lot shirt is available at T public. If you go to T public and you just type in my name as like one word, you'll find my store. You'll see the Hanks a lot shirt there. I started designing masks because masks are a thing that we now have to wear or should wear. Please wear a mask. You don't have to buy my masks. You don't have to give me anything. Just please wear a mask of any sort. Sorry. I went off on a rant there too. This is dating this episode. This will not be a timeless episode. But yeah, the Hanks a Lot shirt, I want this shirt to be a giant hit. And that's really wishful thinking. But it's a funny, silly shirt, like most of the shirts I've put together are. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's great. And everybody loves Tom Hanks. Absolutely. He's a treasure. You just reminded me. I do want to make a Hanks-a-Lot shirt where the heads are in the shape of the cross on the Greek flag. Mm-hmm. Because now he's a Greek citizen or he's a half-Greek citizen or something. So I feel like the people of Greece should be buying Hanks-a-Lot shirts. Hey, that might be the breakthrough right there. I need to get on that. <laughs> Well, it's time to ask the questions I ask all my guests when we kick back with the creator. I have nine questions now. All right. Let's start with number one. Let's start with number one. Do your best. I'll do my no best. right or wrong answers. Greg, what do you like to do for recreation? Aside from you know, reading, watching TV, those sorts of basic recreation, I like to cook and bake. Ah, excellent. Both endeavors, cooking and baking, and then I like watching people cook and bake. We have something in common. I like to eat, so that's fantastic. I'm glad. Oh, look, I also love to eat. I mean, I enjoy the process of cooking and, and making stuff. The same way that I like making comics. Watching people who know how to cook, there's something almost balletic or balletic, whatever the word would be, about just how somebody moves through a kitchen. There used to be a show I watched in high school and college on Discovery Channel called Great Chefs. And it would just be a documentary style camera in a chef's kitchen, like a restaurant kitchen with a narrator talking about what they're doing. And just I love the way chefs move and the way they move the pans around and like the thing they do where they tip the pan and drizzle the butter. It's like, I love it. I can watch that stuff all day. Dropping the pasta in the water, like restaurant stuff, I get a kick out of. And then I like to cook myself and bake. You know, it's funny. We were watching a cooking show the other night, me and Mrs. Creator Talks. It was Jamie somebody rather. Is it Jamie Oliver, British guy? Jamie Oliver, yeah. Sure. Yeah, he's very good. We're watching this and it looks really good. And I said, he's picking out great colors. And the way he's describing making the food and the way it smells and the way it tastes. We can't smell it. We can't taste it. But the way he's presenting it, I'm really interested. Whereas some other cooks, it's bland colors. Everything's tan. And they're not very descriptive. They're just going, mmm, mmm. But the way he did it, I was hungry. Yeah, something else he's very good at and a guy named Ming Tsai is also very good at. Yep, I've seen him. Again, they're so deft with their craft. They make everything look very doable especially jamie oliver he's like slapping stuff together it feels so carefree but it's just like he knows what he's doing so there's just that confidence of what he's doing he knows what's going to happen because it's cooking and once you understand the heat and the science and the way things work you can really do some stuff in a kitchen and watching folks like that they get jazzed watching it yeah it's a treat yeah it's a treat and just you learn things There's information there. I get ideas. He's very good. Yeah. Now, question number two. Yes. Your favorite birthday and why? This is the one question I remembered of the nine. So I don't have a specific birthday, but I'm going to talk about two types of birthdays. So when I was a kid, I used to have big birthday parties. I was very fortunate in that we had a swimming pool in our backyard. I grew up in South Florida. We would invite basically my entire class. And it would be these huge rager birthday parties of like 10-year-olds just like going nuts in the pool. And then eight or nine kids would stay and we'd do like a sleepover. And just like the entirety of that, I mean, I still will occasionally talk to some of my friends from elementary school and they talk about these birthday parties. That's how memorable they are. (laughs) I cannot remember a specific one, but the general idea of once a year, Mm -hmm. there'd be like 30 kids at our house just going ape in the pool. That was fun. And then... As I've gotten older, on my 30th birthday and on my 40th birthday, for 30, I did three nights, three restaurants, and for 40, it was four nights, four different restaurants. Those were fun because it was just like nice meals, some highbrow, most lowbrow, just the kinds of food I want to eat and just different groups of friends each time. Some people went to everything. Those were nice. And now uh, I guess I got a a handful of years before I have to do five nights in a row. (laughs) That's a great idea. I like that. Yeah, it was pretty good. And again, when you like certain foods, like, okay, night one is going to be the fried chicken night. Night two is going to be Cuban food night. Night three is going to be burgers. And like, it's great. It's just indulgence for a few days. And then people can pick and choose where they want to go or not go. And it's hopefully low pressure. Those are birthdays I can point to. Thinking back to junior high, what posters and or pictures did you have on your bedroom wall? I remember this question. So I had, yeah, it had to be junior high. I have evidence of this because when I was 13... For my bar mitzvah, I got a VCR video camcorder, Mm -hmm. and I have video footage of my wall from that period. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I had drawings that I drew were on the wall. I had a selection of comic books up on the wall 
the Flash number one, Wally West Flash number one was up there. Power Pack number one was up there. Killing Joke was up there. Those are the ones I can remember off the top of my head. Mm, okay. And then at some point, I got, there was a massive Marvel Comics poster. I think it was probably like four foot by four foot, maybe bigger. And it was the Marvel Comics handbook. All the covers created one giant tapestry. Do you know this poster? I haven't seen it, no. It's awesome. And I had that, and it was up on the wall, and it was huge. And it, it was basically every Marvel character, or every Marvel character that was on the covers of these handbooks. I would have loved that. If you look online, you could probably find I think it's like a five by five square, five feet by five feet. It was massive. So I had that on the wall. And then, yeah, a bunch of drawings I had done of my characters. And I think I did a drawing of my dog, stuff like, yeah, my own drawings, which now I have none of my drawings up, which is interesting. Now, next question. Your island book that you would read for pleasure if you were stuck on said island. Uh, this is tough. So my initial instinct is Alice in Wonderland because I do love that book. Okay. It's short. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's the best book. Like then there's, see, this is tough one. It's just like one book because you want it to be something like you can go back to it a million times. But it won't be Lord of the Rings. No, no, it absolutely would not be Lord of the Rings. I mean, my brain is just like, is there a book that has like some massive book with like a variety of stuff? But is that what I would, nah. Hmm, hold on. Give me another, let me think another second. Because I also like Tom Robbins stuff. The books of his that I liked, I only read once. Would they hold up? Like, I thought Skinny Legs and All is incredible, but would I want to read it over and over again? Or Vonnegut? No, I'm going to stick... Uh, hold on. Interesting that none of these are comics, right? That's okay. So they don't have to be. Most people don't pick comics. There are some good comics. If it was a comic, I'd take probably Justice League The Nail. Oh, okay. That, I love it. Yeah. That, every time I reread that, I'm like, oh, this is so good. I'll say Alice in Wonderland. Alice in Wonderland or... <laughs> I mean, I do love the monster at the end of this book. Yes. It, it's one of my favorite books of yes. all time. I still think it's a masterpiece. I've read it. My kids have read it. Yes. I would argue that's a comic as well. Mm-hmm. But that, I mean, a little golden book on a desert island is going to... That'll I mean, be short. That's rough stuff. But I do love it. Yeah, I'm torn. And then I also like the Phantom Tollbooth. I can't pick a single book. I'm sorry. <laughs> is, I could not. It would be really difficult for me. It'd have to be some kind of omnibus of comics or... Oh, wait. Oh, I have an answer. A uh, superhero universe coloring book, of course. How can I get that? <laughs> well, you could read it and then color it. I mean, geez. How often do people name their own books? Oh. Seriously or joking? Like never. <laughs> You're the <Other>? first. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Nobody else steal that. That's my bit. Now, this is fun. Your beverage of choice. It doesn't have to be alcohol unless you prefer that. I, I don't. For the most part, I drink water. That's my standard. But if I'm like... Treating myself to a beverage, I like the following beverages. Chocolate milk, powder, not syrup. Ah, yes. Makes a big difference. Huge difference. Chocolate syrup is not good, guys. No. I'm sorry. I've had lattes that way. I don't want the syrup. I want the powder. I want the powder. If you're going to hand me ice cream and you say it has chocolate syrup, I don't want it. Chocolate fudge, yes. Mm-hmm. Syrup, no. Making a hard stance on this. So I like chocolate milk. I like orange juice with pulp. And I do like sodas. I know I'm not picking one thing, you know, like a Coke Zero or a Pepsi Max. But then I also like, and this is a throwback to when I was a kid, but man, grape soda is so good. Grape soda is so, I mean, it is terrible for you, I'm sure. It's just oh, yeah. like a sugar machine. Sugar hit, yep. But it's so good. So, yeah, those are my beverages. In moderation, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. I think I've had grape soda once every five years, four years. It's a rare treat. That's spaced out. Yeah. It's a rare treat, but what a treat it is. Now, this question, what's your beef? Now, this one I thought of, I remember Leno going on to David Lennerman's show when they were friends sure. before Leno had his own show. And he'd say, uh, Jay, what's your beef? And then he would go off on his, his shtick. Yeah. But do you have something that just kind of grinds your gears that bothers you? I have all kinds of things that grind my gears. Yeah, I know. It's hard to pick one. All right. This is going to be, I mean, this is minor. In the grand scheme of things, let me preface by saying, in the grand scheme of the universe, this is petty. This is literally the very definition of a pet peeve. In the world outside of the direct market, in comics, people call word balloons things other than word balloons. Oftentimes, speech bubbles is a very popular phrase. Speech bubbles, word bubbles, things like that. So as a cartoonist, the lack of knowledge of quote-unquote proper terminology. And I say quote-unquote because the fact of the matter is it does not matter. (laughs) But 
Word balloons, panels, they say frames. But word balloons is the terminology that I would like more people to use over things like speech bubbles. Has anyone ever used that term in front of you, the wrong term, and how do you correct them? Depends on who's doing it. So it happens a lot in school and library circumstances. Okay. What I will typically do is I will never, I won't correct anybody, but I will use the word word balloon. Okay. I will model the behavior. Very good. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I will say word <laughs> balloon. I will use that phrase. And if I'm feeling a little cheeky when I'm talking to the kids, I might sort of stress that it's not speech bubble, but I will never like outright tell somebody unless, unless I feel close enough to them where I can say, by the way, just as a heads up, tell your friends. When I would train people on insurance products way back, I didn't know a whole lot. And I had some of my coworkers in the back watching me train. So if I said something wrong, they would then pipe up and say, and, and kind of like negate what I just said. Right. And I would nod my head like, yes. So that's how they kind of corrected me was to say, and, or that was for that situation. But in this situation... So it looked really smooth, but that's how they corrected me publicly. <laughs> no, that's good. That's, that's like a, that's like almost using uh, improv techniques. Exactly. Yes, and you. <laughs> yes. Like they weren't shutting you down. No. They were just giving you a little more uh, sauce. They saved my face is what they did. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> what, sir, is your guilty pleasure? I like sweets. I like, mm. I like donuts and cakes and cookies and candy and being lazy, doing nothing. That's when I actually feel guilty. I don't really feel guilty about sweets, but like actually feel guilty as if I've like. I should be doing something. Yeah. Yeah. If I've genuinely wasted time. But I also love like I have this crossword puzzle app on my tablet and I'll just sit and work crossword puzzles. And it's like I don't really feel guilty doing it, but I also just like I should not be doing this. This is recreation. This is pure procrastination is me working on a crossword puzzle. But it is, you know, supposed to be good for your brain and it is a way for me to sort of chill out for a little bit. So, but yeah, I'd say wasting time is a, is a, maybe it's not a pleasure. Maybe it's just a guilty thing. And then sweets is the pleasure. On a weekend, I've got to get certain things done. Otherwise I'm just wasting my time. And then when I sit down, I feel like I've earned that time just to goof off and watch whatever or read whatever. Sure. Or just do nothing and just stare at the wall and just take a breath for a minute. You know, then I feel like I've earned it. That's how I stave off those guilty feelings. I have been a procrastinator for as long as I've been a human. That's a hard habit to break. Even it's it, when a kid, I'd come home from school and I would draw and I wouldn't start my homework until much later in the night. And then I would find every reason in the world to not get to finishing it. I'd get it done. But, you know, I knew kids that would come home, do their homework and then have the rest of the night. And I was the flip side. I'd come home draw for like three hours. It's like, oh, I, now dinner's over. I, I better start my homework. Kind Fun of first. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I, I kick into gear when I have a deadline. But if I don't have a specific deadline, I can get myself distracted pretty good for better or worse. My next question is, finish this phrase. I took a risk when? Well, I took a risk when I self-published picks. I turned down paying work for I think like nine months and... I put my own money into it. I didn't kickstart it. I didn't do any of that. I did it all from ground up. So that was a risk that I'll talk about publicly. <laughs> so you took that risk. So my final question is, what is next for you? Work or pleasure? Great question. What I'm trying to do, what I've been trying to do is find my way into the book market, kids comics in the book market. So I'm working on new pitches, things to show people to get that stuff going. So that's what's next for me. Aside from, you know, little things like whether it's another coloring book or I keep considering doing streaming drawing videos. Mm -hmm. I've been doing YouTube videos, but I think I might pivot to a streaming video thing. But the end game is tell stories and to tell stories in comics or other formats. I'm very keen on something called the hybrid format, which is text with illustrations and then comics pages. I'd love to find a way to do that. I had written a book, a manuscript about pro wrestling animals that was in that format and I've had trouble selling it, but I'd like to do that kind of a thing. That's what's hopefully next is clearing the brush and getting on that path and making it work, which uh, is not impossible, but boy, it'd be nice if it was easier. <laughs> and I say that as somebody who has been very fortunate. I hate to even sound like I'm complaining. I guess it shouldn't be easy, right? Anything worth doing. That's right. Blah, blah, blah. Cliche, cliche. 
So that's the end game. And in the meantime, I do the freelance work. I'm very appreciative and thankful for it. And uh, yeah, hopefully I can get some of these things uh, off the ground. Well, I hope so too. And whatever path you take next, wherever you pivot next, may you have much success. Oh, shock. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> Thank you, Christopher. No, this will make you cry. And Greg, thanks a lot for being on Creator Talks. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Christopher. Thank you for having me. All right, folks. If you're looking for some coloring books, some great books for your kids, or hey, you want to listen to some podcasts about Tom Cruise, check it out. I know I just ordered my Hanks a lot t-shirt you should too if you really like this show please rate and review on apple podcast i know it takes time you have to log in you have to leave a star rating or maybe write something but hey it goes a long way to helping the show reach new listeners and grow the audience if it reaches a wider audience i can have more guests on the show especially those who are really hard to get So if you can take the time, or hey, grab anybody you know, ask them to take the time, make them do it. You have done enough already as a loyal listener of this show. Tell a friend so they can join the ranks of some of the best looking and smartest people, my listeners. I don't know why I'm in such a playful and joyous mood. Maybe it's because I got my coronavirus shot this week. Yeah, I can't believe it. It just suddenly came up and I was like, whoa, get in line. So one down, one to go. Better days are coming, folks. They're coming. Just hang in there. Meanwhile, enjoy your comic books and listen to the show. I have some guests coming up, some returning, and some new. How can you find out who and when? Well, first subscribe. That way you never miss a show. Also, you can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod. Email me directly at creatortalks at gmail.com that's creatortalks at gmail.com just like Johnny Cannon did from Glasgow, Scotland what a great name Johnny Cannon it's like a superhero name Johnny, I appreciate your kind comments about the show which interviews do you like best and which comic books mean a lot to you I really appreciate you following the show and sharing your thoughts with me well, the old clocks on the wall with multiple time zones tell me it's time for me to go Back to research and reading comics for Creator Talks. This has been your host, Christopher Calloway. Until next time. <laughs>